so that was that was a paradise garage um experience it was pretty fun well that's what happens when you go there you never know because it's like going in someone's personal living room that's how they ran that club you know (laughs) people people fall asleep on the sofa in their personal living room and if it's Larry Levan's personal living room sofa, hey, Larry's falling asleep. I suppose that in, makes sense. In that sense, that's how the, the club ran. Same yeah. as like Crusoe's Loft, you know, it's but on a bigger scale. Mm. You get away with I never that. made it now. You can get away with that type of stuff, Nick. You couldn't yeah. get everywhere. Uh, I would have been fired 10 times over for any kind of stuff like that. But he was Larry Levan, it was his club, you know. You know, it was the best club in the, at the time. Well, not to say that also, let's give it up to Bruce Forrest at Better Days because he was rocking hard the other side of house music. So, yeah, I mean, you know, I didn't go to them all. I went to a few spots. I mean, maybe it was a year or two later. I probably made it to Zanzibar and Jersey for Tony Humphreys, but that might have been a couple of years later. Um, yeah, I went to Save the Robots. I went to some hip hop shows. Uh, oh, I went to a a sort of death jam sleeping bag party at Sylvia's in Harlem, which was quite interesting. That was the first time I'd been in a New York nightery where somebody showed me the gun that was just stuffed into their top of their tracksuit bottoms. This guy was saying, I'll give you a lift home. And he was like, you'll be safe with me, man. Shows me the gun tucked into the... You're all right. You'll be all right. You're all right. I'm like, I'm I'm good. I'm good. Yes. Okay, I'm all right. Yeah, no, I got it. You weren't yeah, coming from England. You guys didn't have that over in England. Still don't, thank God. No, but I'm saying in the sense of how just New York was so, and in those days, it was still, it wasn't the Walt Disney Times Square that people see today. Oh, pretty raw, man. Yeah, you got to tell that. I mean, that's a different story. It's a New York. So, So all of that happened, and then I came back. I mean, this is this is the trouble with this with doing this sort of show. I mean, I'm tr- you know we we're talking thirty years worth. I mean, I could sit here for thirty years talking about the last thirty years, but it might might be a bit of a stretch. You've already so, got people interested. Don't worry, people are like yeah. What? So 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 basically, I come back, uh, and then in the the you know the following year, I'm working for Easy Street from my dorm room. So I'm a uni student, but I'm also getting sent new promos and stuff like that by Easy Street. So the very first record I signed, I wonder if you remember this record, Lenny, the Funky Ginger Slaughterhouse on Easy Street. Yeah, I do. yeah I do remember it. Okay, cool. So that well, I found that because that was a record made by Simon Law, who was the brother of my friend Joanna Law that I went to university with. And then I sent that to Mike Gusick. I said, hey, I found this record. And he's like, yeah, we'd like to sign that to Easy Street. So so that was the first time I like signed a record, really. Um, and I was doing that during my last year of uni. So I was going uh, to see record label people going, hey, you know, I've got this, this new Easy Street stuff. Do you want to sign it? So I'd go and visit Pete Tong or whoever. And um, they'd be like, how come you're the rep for Easy Street then? Because you're, <laughs> you're just a kid. Uh, you're just a kid. I'm like, yeah, I know I'm just a kid. Um, but uh, I was working at BLS in the summer in New York, and I got to know, know the Easy Street guys then. And then they go, how did you get to know the that's, that's how, the did you get, how did you get to work at BLS? You know, and then I told them all the story. So I got to know all these people, and then and then 
it got to the summer of 1988. Then, to put the, the, the icing on the cake, I went to Ibiza um, and uh, hung out in Ibiza in the summer of 1988 and had an idea to sell smiley T-shirts out there because I was at Amnesia and I sat next to a Greek girl who had a hand-painted smiley shirt. You think Forrest Gump, it keeps happening again yo, and yo, again. Yo, 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 this is a lie now. I'm joking. No, 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 no. So I'm next to this Greek girl. She's got a hand-painted painted smiley shirt in Amnesia. And people keep going up to her going like, oh, wow, your T-shirt's so cool. Where did you get it? She goes, oh, I made it myself. And then I get, get chatting to uh, Ulysses, who ran, like, the boutique in Amnesia. And I said, hey, there's this smiley thing. It's quite getting, you know, like a bit of a buzz in England. There's a club called Shum, and they've got a smiley logo. And it's a bit of a thing, you know, in the... You know, and there's this girl, and she's a T-shirt, and, and he goes, hey, you get, oh, well, you know, I tell you what, Nick, if you want to make some smiley T-shirts, I'll buy the first 25 off you. And what's more, I'll even drive you to the to the factory where you can get them manufactured and stuff. So then well, we went there, got the T-shirts manufactured, Ulysses stopped them, they sold out. And so summer of 88, I was... DJing in a beach bar, and then every night I'd finish at 1 a.m. in the beach bar, get on my moped, and then I'd go usually to sort of Amnesia or to Coo or some of these other places. And then with, I had a little book, like, you know, right, delivering another 20 T-shirts, collecting the money from ones that have been sold. So that was summer of 1988. Meanwhile, while he's doing the T-shirts, Shroom he's talking about the Danny Rampling Club with Jenny is starting to make a lot of noise too. And sure. house music is starting to really start to take its foothold in England. Big it time. Is. It is. And I come He's on right to the there. job. He's living it. You're living within the bubble, mate, right? I come on to the job market as a, a graduate of whatever I was, maybe just turned 21 years old, with this incredible CV now of like, what? You've been hanging out in Ibiza. You've been in, in New York. You How know. Must have been asking the question how did you acquire to get all this because you know when you know when you're looking at it and then you look how young you are yeah it happened to me too i used to tell people who i knew in those days they'd be like you're lying and that's why when i was joking when you said you're lying the first thing i would hear from my get out of here you didn't do that and i'm like oh no i yeah. stop telling people you stop yeah. telling just because you start saying you know what you just seem like you're blagging and you're telling the truth. You're telling the truth, but yet you're in the middle of it all, you know? It, it, it isn't quite as simple as sort of one door. You know, there's a classic phrase like one door shuts, another another door opens. People talk about that in life. I think it's more like it's like you walk through one door and then you see a whole bunch of other doors. And obviously you might push on one or two of them and they're firmly locked. So that ain't going to happen. But then you push on another one. Oh, and then it sort of slightly opens. You either walk through that or you push on another one. Oh, that's a little bit open as well. And then you walk through another one and then and then there's even more doors. And it's just like all interconnected. So one thing leads to the next to the next. And, next. and that's been my story of, in my life of this endless interconnection of, 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 of stuff and looping back. You know, like you were saying, you know, Mike Gusick there, I was. We've already touched on that one, lockdown 2020, and I'm helping, working with Mike, bringing new versions of the, the back catalogue out, and, and, and that's doing well. 
you know, just reconnecting with somebody that that gave me a break in in 1987. But what better than him? Because he's a lawyer. Besides being an owner of a record label, he yeah. and you know how great. And he, I have to give him a lot of credit. He helped teach us. Talk, should I say he helped taught us a lot? He still yeah. went generation a generation and a half later, still doing my deals. So. Sure. Yeah, so we get it. You know, he's the right guy at the beginning to say, hey, yeah. do this. This is how you sign records. So you're in that formative years as you're picking up all the slang and being, yeah. for example, I wanted to ask this question about BLS. Did you realize at that time how cutting edge BLS was with the sound of the street, with the house music of Molly Ma was doing the lunch mix? That's right. And he was playing a lot of records that only you heard at, say, like the garage or better days. Mm. Were you realizing all that with Timmy Registford and Merlin Bob on Friday and Saturday nights doing their shows? How cutting edge the house music scene was in New York because of that? Well, I think I knew that I was in the I was in the right place at the right yeah. time. I definitely yeah. knew that. I was, you know, like you know, like these records were coming in. I'm like, oh, a white label of that. Oh, that's good, you know, and and I was, yeah, when Marley, you know, I'd pick up all the records and tidy them up after Marley had done that lunchtime mix or, or write down the, the log of what they were and all that. So, yeah, I knew I was in the, the right place at the right time, and I knew that when I was in Ibiza in the summer of 88, I was in the right place at the right time as well. And then, yeah, I was very lucky. So as house music exploded, I, I was there and, you know, I knew DJs and, you know, I was just sort of there. So, so my, I got a gig at a independent promotion company um, and I started helping out there doing DJ and radio promotion. And then I went to see Tim Palmer at uh, City Beat Records, who was looking for a new club promo person. And I said, hey, you know, I'm, uh, you know, we can... I, I work for this indie company doing club promo called Secret uh, Promotions, um, but but you know I'm I'm also interested in maybe working at a label at some point uh, rather than just you know doing promo. And so so Tim said, well you know anybody who's working for me doing promo, if you find a great record, uh, I'd be up for you know you signing it. Um, so I was thinking, wow, that's that sounds good. Um, and so I got off the job, offered the job of, of club promo at City Beat, which I then went to. Um, and then I, I guess I made it my business to find some records to sign. And then fairly soon, um, I signed a record called Numero Uno by Starlight, uh, which was a top 10 pop hit. The first, so, this is the first record for them you signed and you got a pop hit already. Well, not the first. I'd, I'd signed a couple of records that had done a bit, so I didn't have a smash with my first signing. But it came fairly soon. Um, and but again, you know, do we call it luck? Do we call it something else? I mean, I, I was in the right place at the right time to hear the record, but I'd travelled to this event on the outskirts of London on a Sunday afternoon. And then I heard Danny Rampling play the record. And then I went racing up to the decks to find out what it was and looked at it and it said, fuck off nosy on the label. So I thought, 
No. Yeah, so I thought, oh, maybe he's not. Maybe the, I'm not going to get the full information here. <laughs> but then I, when I sang it the next day to a record store to Richard at Craig and Craig at Tracks. So like, yeah, that's, that's, on, let me wait. Let me let me explain. Let me explain it because people don't know this vinyl generation. You, this is just mm. maybe, that's why I had a laugh. Mm. Okay, back in the day when we were all vinyl, okay, DJs would like to put white covers over their records because they didn't want you to know what they were playing. It was a it was a selector's thing. So when he went and looked as what they were called train spotting, he's it said <laughs> I don't even want to repeat what it said. It said F off nosy. <laughs> That's why I cracked it. I didn't mean to laugh, but it was just funny when he said it because I haven't heard that in so long. But DJs would have their stuff protected. It was a thing because they were they cherished the music like treasures that they went digging for. So him, what he did as an A&R person, he was out doing exactly what he was supposed to have meant to do. He was scouting. He's scouting the records and we lost him for a moment. He was scouting the records and pushing to get the best sounds for the record label. You know, as he was saying before, hopefully he comes back. We lost him for a moment. We should get him back simultaneously as I'm speaking. But check this out. So we recap. He worked at BL. Ah, he's back. Thank God. Okay, Nick. Good thing. Welcome back, Nick. We lost you for a second. Okay, so on again, on the yes. recap, we were saying how fortunate you were pushing to get as an A&R scout to, to find the best products and you're yeah. pushing your way through no matter what it took. And that means if you sang the song over the over the phone. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That was it. So then that we, we learned that it was Starlight, Numero Uno, signed the record, became a top 10 hit. Um, and then I could shake off a little bit more of the, the, the club promotion stuff um, and become more of an A&R man, really, kind of signing records. Um, and then we... Um, I suggested to Tim that we set up a label that is was more tapped into the underground at the time that wasn't trying to have pop hits, that was more about credible underground DJ records. Um, and, uh, you know, he, he agreed that was a great idea to, to set something new up, and, and that was XL Recordings. And we were off into a new adventure there, you know, um, Frankie Bones, uh, you know, Tommy Musto, the Looney Tunes EP series, Flowmasters, Energy Dawn, big rave records from Belgium like T99, Cubic 22, Junior Vasquez, funnily enough, earlier on actually in the life of uh, of the XL label. Um, and then and then the big hits really started to, to come through and we just had this run of success, SL2 and Liquid. And, and of course, The Prodigy, who... Um, were signed before there was a band in actual fact it was just liam came in with a, a demo tape played me some good underground music and fortunately i thought it was the right thing to sign to sign um and and then everything else exploded yeah, everything else grew from there so the you know the band came together and and the touring started to happen which propelled future hits and um obviously prodigy have gone on to this unbelievable level of, of of success over the years can i ask something about excel yeah go for it 
when you sat down, you were in the middle of City Beat making the transition and having these hits and all that, and you found founding XL recordings. What was the I because I because a lot of the records you mentioned in the beginning were new groove records. Were these yeah. rec- okay, were these were these records hitting heavy in England and you went to go and grab them, or were you just on on it before these records popped? I would say on it on it before they popped, really, uh, because I think that if you'd waited for something to get really big, then then we wouldn't have been able to sign it because we were an indie. We didn't. We weren't an FFRR with a checkbook to spend. I mean, a good example before XL Recordings happened, I actually thought that I'd signed French Guest for about well, it was a bit longer than five minutes. Maybe for a few days I thought I'd signed French Kiss by Little Louie. But that was an example. You know, I'd called up, the, I'd heard the record in a club. It had, I'd gone, what on earth is this record? This is insane. Justin Berkman had played it uh, at Heaven. Uh, and then I called up the number on the label, and, uh, and he goes, hi, this is Louie. <laughs> so I was like literally oh, through to Little Louie on the, uh, you know, yeah. Oh, I'm interested in signing your record. Uh, and he goes, uh, okay, cool. And I, I go, yeah, so would like, you know, $2,000 or something like that be appropriate? Yeah, sounds fine to me, man. Just speak to my lawyer and wrap it up. That's cool. Oh, cool. All right, great. You know, finish the conversation. I'm like, is it as easy as that? Am I just signed, signed this record? But then, you know, about three weeks later, the lawyer says, we've got significant interest from lots of parties and we're looking at offers £20,000 and above, you know. And that was where we were out of the game. So we needed to get in early. In that case, we couldn't do it. But, yeah, we were getting out in there early and we were we was grabbing those those records and saying, hey, we believe in them. We want to, get, we want to pay you a couple of thousand dollars. Let's have a go. Right, and then hopes, and if it would have been on XL, would have been a massive hit, as well as it did on Epic and Sony. Well, Epic and Sony weren't so much in the game at that point for even signing these things. I mean, this is one thing about The Prodigy. At the point that that I signed um, The Prodigy, you know, an Epic, a Sony, uh, uh, you know, big labels of the day wouldn't have offered it's because there wasn't enough there. You know, there was no live thing. There's just a bunch of underground breakbeaty tracks, really. No major would have gone near it. So, you know, again, that would happen further down the line. We needed to see the big hits happen for the majors to start to go, oh, this is what we want to be looking at. So, yeah. So how do you, okay, so then, you know, you're looking at it. It's basically what we call a track act, okay? So you're picking up a track act with no... No real singer, no... What did we do here? You, you, you're going to grab a record and you're going to take them on a tour. Because I know like Tommy went over and Lenny D went over and yeah. some of the beginnings of, of the, the techno... The beginning of the techno scene, in a sense. And even Ralphie D, I remember, went over to play as well in the beginning, in the mid, late 80s into the 90s, before, yeah, that, yeah. before the Soulful House thing even broke out. Yeah, um, yeah. How did you support that? Tour, did you guys also do the touring part too, the club-wise, or you just did just the release and worked it to your best to the pop chart? Was that it? Or did you actually extend it further than that? On your we, um, 
I'm hearing a little bit of echo in the back. Oh, no, that's gone now. That's okay. Um, we had uh, good relationships with people like Tim Taylor, people who were agents. Um, but we, what, what was happening was the club scene was growing, the rave scene was growing, so good agents were able to slide these guys in. Um, we weren't really promoting shows generally ourselves, and we weren't saying we'll be your booking agent. We were saying we'll be your record label, but we'll help you in these other areas. And that's what we did. So we just slid them in to the right you know things at the right time and the right agent and and you know it just this thing just kept growing you know so if if you've got i forget what the phrase is they say something like you know like a right all boats rise on if the tide rises all boats go up or something um i mean basically when it comes to music i think if if your music you were putting out was average if the general scene was going up, you could still find that you put out an average 12-inch, sell a 1,000 copies, and then put another average one out and find that you've sold 1,600 of the next one. Uh, but, but they're both average records, but you, you, you've grown because the scene is growing. Now, that's if you're doing something average. But now, think if you're putting out great records and then another really great one like, then vroom, and that's what we experienced at XL, as we saw records charting first at 15 and 14 in the national chart, and then our records were at number three and two and but one. See, the difference of this is now, today, everybody goes by this thing called algorithms. Yeah. Today, or the first time around in the golden era of this whole dance music thing, you went on gut instinct. Mm. You had to have gut instinct to make a big decision to pick up a record. You didn't have any other way to go on. You didn't, couldn't look yeah. at any analytics. There was no analytics back then. Well, well, I, I, you know what? I, there, there was there was a different type of analytics. So, like, if it was in on import and Eastern Block in Manchester had sold 25 copies in one day and City Sounds had done 35 copies in one day, that was your analytics. It's like, okay, that sounds like it's possibly a hot one. But nothing like what we get today where we sit at home and tap, 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 you know, and there's graphs and, ch uh, you know, no. Do you, I mean, a gut feeling is still an important part of the e equation, but now you use data and analytics to help inform those decisions. But, you know, in with, when it comes to big artists, big records, there's still somebody somewhere going, yes. I believe in this, or, or no, I don't. I agree. That Clive Davis mentality where they say, F everything what's around you, I go in on gut instinct, and I know this works. Now, and, you know, sometimes it will, sometimes it won't. You know, nobody gets it right all the time. So the thing about your gut instinct, you have to be, you, you go with it, and then you go, oh, that didn't work. Well, okay, well, maybe the next time it will. And then the next time it does work, and then you're like, okay, and this is the nature of it. Don't expect gut in instinct to work all the time. Um, but as long as it is working, hopefully, gut instinct, if it's generally working more than it's failing, so to speak, then then you've obviously got something going on that's, that's worthwhile. Fair enough. So Excel brings you a lot of, a lot of success. Yeah, well... Yes, there's success, there's pop hits and all of that. And then um, I get the opportunity to um, – I get offered the, the chance to join EMI and uh, set up a dance business 
for them, um, which uh, appealed at the time. Obviously, Excel was great, um, but equally, it's an interesting opportunity. I was probably 25 or 26 when, when EMI said, look, you know, become a director here, uh, hire your team, Figure, you know, do whatever you want musically. We're not going to second guess it. If you want to sign Rave Records, sign Rave. If you want to sign House, sign House. It's not really. We don't even know the difference between these things, but you do. And and we don't we don't want another Rave label. It's not like we want a load of records that sound like the Prodigy and SL2 necessarily. We just want you to do what you're into and what you think might be successful. And we'd like to have some hits if possible. Um, you know, so that's what we're working towards. And so I decided to go for it, Lenny. And so I set up Positiva. Um, Dave Lambert was my first hire there as my kind of right-hand man. Um, and really, in terms of Positiva, we started it off similar style to how XL started. We didn't go, right, what is the the record that stands the biggest chance of smashing it at a daytime radio uh, from the off. We actually signed some cool records. There was crit Critical um, uh, on 8-Ball, Wall of Sound, um, and De Niro by Disco Evangelists, and some cool records that weren't particularly pop hits. Um, and then a big pop hit juggernaut came along, um, but it actually didn't feel like a big pop hit juggernaut when we signed it, um, which was real to real. I like to move it. Now, it went on to be an enormous smash, but um, one of my little party pieces when I speak to university students or, or you know, people in the music industry is I, I talk about um, this this record and I asked them how much competition was there and how much did it cost to sign. Um, and it can be surprised, you know, it's, it's a surprising thing that there was no competition to sign that record. Positiva was the only label that offered on real to real. I like to move it. So it was a cheap signing. Yeah. Nobody touched that record. I remember when it came out, it was, nah. came out. Um, and next thing we knew you guys signed it. What happens right after that? When you signed it, it yeah. blew up. Can you believe that? So everybody was everybody was kind of like sitting on the fence, and the basically the the strengths of that record were also its weaknesses. So so you know you could you could say, oh, it's got this rough patois ragga vocal. That's a weakness. That's not going to go on daytime radio one. But it was also infectiously unique. And, you know, the beats on the record, people were saying, yeah, well, you know, that's not a house record, so it doesn't fit in DJ's house sets. That's, all, that's got some weird beat to it. It doesn't fit in what sets does it fit in? I don't know that it fits in any. But that, but in the end, it sort of ended up fitting into all. Um, so, you know, you have set, you know, you have strengths and weaknesses wrapped up in the same thing. And, and basically people started to realise, actually, this is a really booky infectious big dance floor record and it just <laughs> exploded would you imagine that you know x amount of years later or should i say decades later it's it becomes part of that movie the soundtrack yeah. i mean it's something that you saw as hey it's pretty cool let me sign it i don't know where it fits but we'll have a go we, I, you know, I, it needed Dave Lambert to, to elbow me in the ribs a couple of times and say, go on, go on, Nick. No, I think there's something in it. Um, and he did that. 
but and then I came to the conclusion myself after a few prods in the ribs. Yeah, you're right. There is something in it. It could. It just could. So let's have a go. So yeah, and and then records take on lives of their own, don't they? Really, and like you've mentioned the film thing, and you know, there's other records I find uh, that, that that I'll play to this day. Um, you know, Buckethead's The Bomb, for example. Um, and yeah, that's been a clubland constant for for decades. As of course is Chicago Street Pilot and Sam. Here's a question about something like that. You guys get that record, okay? And you know there's a sample in it, or you didn't know. I don't know if you knew if it was a sample at the time. Hmm. Good. What, good. You, what was what's some of the politics and the dealings now? You signed this record to EMI. What's the packing for you now to deal with? Well, in the case of that, we did need to um, deal with a massive sample. And at one point, it looked like the record wasn't going to come out, which was a little bit uncomfortable because it was a massive record at that point. Um, but, yeah, we managed to get over that bump, get the, the sample cleared, and and it, it smashed. Um, in actual fact, the the vinyl came out later than the CD and the cassette, which is very unusual in those days because everybody felt that you needed vinyl first to give you that kick. But I think I seem to recall that the vinyl came later partly due to a bunch of craziness that was flying around at the time. And in the end, that we went, we charted high, and then along came the vinyl, and that secured us in the chart. It was all fine. Um, but yeah, you know, we've we've definitely had multiple cases where we've signed records or I've signed records, and there's a sample in there that needs to be cleared, and and sometimes it's very stressful getting that happen, happening. Yeah, especially in those days, because it's like the Wild West. You know, people didn't know what was going on. It's not like today where you have a copyright claim. It was like all of a sudden the record's huge and then you're getting a cease and assist. Sure. So, yeah. I mean, that's like a what now? You're like, you know, you're going to go to to the chart with this. Not a DJ specialty chart, but we're talking pop chart. Oh, you know, yeah. With lots of stressy moments at Positiva. I mean, there was one, one record... Uh, by perpetual motion and i knew that the sample wasn't cleared but it was already it had a life of its own and i remember saying to the radio plugger let's just you know can we slowly slow take this one slowly like a very slow c list for a couple of weeks uh because i'm thinking look at this sample cleared went on the c list everybody at emi was like Woohoo, we're on the c list you know and i'm thinking yeah, but you know, and I'm trying to get the thing cleared next week. It goes up to the bloody B. I'm thinking, oh lord, oh god, I didn't want to hear that. Meanwhile, everybody in the corridor and they're popping, you know, they're popping the confetti. Hey, we're on the B list. Yes, and yes. I'm thinking, I'm thinking, Jesus Christ, I hope we can get this all sorted out. All right, and then it was one of those ones where we did get it sorted. And it just literally it came through the, the the clearance came through the fax machine kind of like, and it it was like literally like that waiting in it yes it is you know we agree to these terms and then it was like yes press up the CDs press up the vinyl go go it's fine go yeah it's all fine yeah you know 
but oh my word but this industry puts people through the ringer you know and circumstances put people through the ringer you know all kinds of crazy stuff happens in this industry as you know stressful brinksmanshipy stuff and but it's all part of the game, isn't it, Lenny? Brother, but do you realize? Do you realize how groundbreaking you were at that time? I'm going to say it to you: how groundbreaking you were, taking these underground New York house records and throwing them in the EMI system, and then Radio One and this and that, and making people who were just neighborhood stars or you know underground DJs become. Huge pop acts. Come on. Yeah, I mean it wow. Okay, well you done. Know. Well, thank you. That's very kind of you. you look, that I mean true, but it's an architect that's a true engineering architect. You are taking your shirt chance basically off your back to sign a record from America or Italy or whatever, yeah. not knowing if it's guaranteed. Yeah, you're going on maybe they're selling well at black vinyl and all these great stores and Stuff like that. I'm mean, sorry, Black Market and all these shops mm. are working a record. You're getting the you know the ear on the street, but yeah, you still yeah. had to. You know, you're dealing with corporate. You know, talk about that for a second. What's that stress like? You're dealing with corporate individuals that don't get what we do. You mm. do because you lived it. At the same no. time, you have to be the bridge in between dealing with the tight-collared corporate side. And you sure. have to be super street cool and keeping well, everybody, you, you know, know there were definitely, definitely moments where I would need to camp outside the CEO's office and say, we, we just have to do this. We just have to do it because and they'll, they would maybe say, well, we don't generally do this at EMI, you know, and then I'd say, and you don't generally have hit dance records either, do you? And that's why I'm here. So shall we generally start to do this now and generally start to have some dance, some hit records from dance music? And that's what happened. And it was like, okay, let's, you know, we'll be more flexible on the term, on the territory. And so it goes on. So, but, you know, there's, there's all kinds of people in the mix of, of success. Um, and so, you know, there's managers, there's record label people, there's, uh, you know, pluggers, promoters, artists the, themselves, of course, absolutely so important, you know. Um, but, but uh, you know, the, the success has has many fathers and mothers too, and, and a lot of people contribute to uh, to hit records generally, uh, Lenny. 100%, but remember, we're talking to you. So, yes, you have your minions all around you. We have all the A-listing people that help you keep that machine running. But at the end of the day, you could be sacked for the wrong reason, for the wrong. Oh, reason. sure. Yeah, you know. You, you, you. I hope we didn't sack you him. Push big decisions wrong, then, or you go cold for you know an extended period. If you're the guy that just hasn't had a hit for, you know, eighteen months, people start to sweat a bit and go, "Ooh, fucking need a hit, man, need a hit," you know. Um, but, uh, yeah, look, you, you ride through. You have to be accepting. And as a manager, you're going to get fired sometimes by artists that you'll take under your wing and you'll develop them to a certain level. And then they'll maybe think, oh, that the grass is greener over there and that, you know, and they'll say, hey, I'm, I'm off. So, and so that's part of the game, how it happens to every manager, however good the manager is. You know what I mean? You look at, you look at, 
some massive pop stars. Um, and, and they, you know, they've, they've fired a bunch of managers over the years and moved to the next one and moved to the next one after that. You know, rarely is it, is it, is the fault. If they've not, if they're not having success at the level that they want, it usually isn't the case that all the management are messing it up. Often it's like, well, maybe your last album just wasn't that good. Well, things have changed, you know, and the market's changed and, and sometimes artists, you know, will, will find it difficult to look themselves in the mirror and go, maybe my next record just needs to be better. So how long is your tenure at Positiva? When does that officially go to? Yeah, so uh, that kind of, I choose to uh, start a joint venture business with Ministry of Sound and an external investor. In uh, I was around about 99, so that was incentive. Um, uh, so more entrepreneurial some less of the the corporate frustrations of which there were a few um and then yeah kind of hit the ground really running with incentive as a label uh, had three top tens pop hits out of our first four singles that we put out which is pretty unbelievable uh joey negro must be the music was one of those there's a great house record um and it was like mario pew communication and uh, Highgate pitching, judge all that. So then, then another phase happens. Uh, incentive, lots of hits there. More trance records, uh, you know, some pop dance like Cascada. Um, you know, had top ten single with that. All of that, and then, uh, and then, kind of things started to change a bit there became a bit more difficult a bit more of a struggle morphed a little bit more into artist management a bit of music publishing um reconnected then with the prodigy uh a and what became the invaders must die album which did one i think 1.4 million albums um and was an incredible return to form um and then, uh, yeah, where does that take us up to? I mean, by about 2009, 10, I was kind of really then deep in the dubstep area. So I was managing Casper, who's one of the leading DJ producers in that area. So, I mean, that was a hell of a thing to be part of. There's so many gigs. It was insane, Lenny. We, we, when dubstep was at its height, literally it would be, do you, uh, you know, on this Saturday in, in three months' time, do you want to be in Bucharest, Liverpool, Toronto, Cape Town, or Blackpool? You know, just like... Uh, Wherever you are, we're there, right? We're going to be there. <laughs> Unfortunately, we weren't able to be in all of those places on the same night, but, that, you know, we would then, yeah, you know, we Went, did all sorts of stuff. Went to Kazakhstan. Lenny, can you believe that? Casper, you can believe it, can't wait, you? Wait, 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 wait. Where Barat lived? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Not many, not many DJs flew to, to Al Marty and Kazakhstan. No, I never. I've never played. I played in parts of Russia that a lot of DJs ever played, but not Kazakhstan. Yeah, yeah. So that that was interesting. That's a hot as dubstep dubstep exploded. Um, so yeah, I did all of that and then gosh, I mean, uh, and then I suppose really in more recent years, I've been, yeah, more of an artist manager, whether it's been working with Liam Howler and the prodigy or Rene LeVice, radio one drum and bass DJ, um, DJ fresh Stanton warriors, 
Bad Company UK, Dawley, you know, there's a whole bunch of people that I've managed uh, or continue to manage some of those. Um, and then and then really that all probably sort of brings us up to the current day where I have this sort of portfolio of stuff I do where I'm, I'm certainly very much still an artist manager. Um but I'm also a publisher. I have a joint venture business with Centric and also act as a consultant to Centric, who are a dynamic, uh, strong, independent music publisher. Can I slow you down one second? Yeah. People have been asking where they can. I saw in the chat they asked where they can send music. Are you still A&Ring? Are you still looking for music being a publisher Centric and all that? Yes. Is that- Yes, I am. No, my, I'm always looking for interesting stuff um, that across the publishing side. Uh, I'm interested in, 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 you know, potential management opportunities. Um, really, the easiest thing is for people to hit me up on my social. So maybe like just follow me on Insta, it's just Nick Hawks, um, or Facebook, and, and reach out over the socials in the first instance. And then I'll tell people like, hey, do this, do that, do the other, based on what it is. Um, so, yeah, no, still am looking, still interested and excited to hear new music and discover new artists. Um, so, yeah, so it's so there's the artist management thing, Lenny. Then there's the music publishing thing, uh, the joint venture business and um, consultancy for Centric. And then something that I started doing doing during lockdown is one-to-one artist consultancy. So I do that now. So instead of... You, you know, it being a bit all or nothing where either I'm managing an artist and just working on a percentage of what happens in the fullness of time. This is more like a hybrid thing where I bring management input, but then charge on an hourly basis like a music industry lawyer would. So somebody will go like, hey, I've got these songs, Do you know, the labels that could be good. Do you have ideas for collabs? And then I'll give the, the level of support that I would if I was an art, you know, management style. If you thought about this, thought about that, thought about the other. So there's a one-to-one consultancy thing going on. So that's something to um, to mention. And, and equally, if people are interested in that, they can hit me up. Um, and yeah, you know, I've got a couple of other things. We talked about reach up, Lenny. Oh, so you know, let me ask you about the DJing side. The yeah. Reach up. Well, I love it. I love that. And in it, and a reach up disco wonderland is something that I run with my best friend, Andy Smith, scroll back to us both with the two hi fi's and no mixer, couple of kids, 12 years old, 13 years old. And it's Andy that I run reach up disco wonderland with today. So we'll be out DJing at a festival. This year we did camp festival and, and we did love hangover and we've, We've got quite a lot of shows happening at the moment. Um, and, and what is more beautiful than being with your best buddy out playing music that you love? You've got that unbelievable chemistry anyway because you're best friends. So, so you know, he instinctively will know where I might go next in the set and I instinctively know what he might do. And, and it's just so fluid. We can just, one of us can ease back for a bit. Yeah, you take care of it for a while. I'm going to get some drinks. I'm going to be chatting to these people. Yeah, that's cool. And then come back in. Oh, now, you know, all so And com. There's a bunch of information there. And Reach Up, Disco Wonderland is also on 
Nick, we your, your film froze and your audio froze when you were saying dot com. Go back a little bit and re-put yeah, that. Up. So reach up discowonderland.com uh, and also reach up Disco Wonderland on Insta uh, and Facebook. So I love doing that. And, and so DJing out with that is an important thing for me these days, um, as is continuing to, to make some productions and some remixes as Nick reach up. Although I've, I've kind of slowed down on on the the output on that over the last I think we may have lost him momentarily. What a great interview everybody. Nick is is a you know, you know some people shoot blanks. This man shoots gold and platinum. His decisions may have not been exactly the way we like to say, uh, we lost you for a moment, Nick, but he's made the right decisions at the right moments to get things accomplished. And his track record speaks for itself. And welcome back, Nick. <laughs> I was just telling everybody how, that some people shoot blanks. You shoot gold and platinum, mate. <laughs> <laughs> so, 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 yeah, we, it feels like the internet's maybe, uh, maybe creaking under the, the strain of, uh, of the sweltering London, London day. But basically, you got it there. You got the, the reach up stuff uh, that I do. Uh, the publishing stuff, the consultancy stuff, and then and then also if people are interested in hearing some amazing conversations, Trailblazers Electronic Pioneers podcast series I do as well. Moosey and I, I mentioned last week to Moosey you were coming on. He said, what the right person to explain a little bit about industry and, uh, and you have re- rose to this occasion very well. But oh, cool. let me let me ask a question for a young and up and coming guy. If you're looking as a manager or AR person, what are you looking at as far as them? Yeah. Speaking, uh, social media wise, give someone an, uh, an insight to, you know, a, a bird's eye view of what someone like you would be looking for. You know, number one, talent. I still believe in the importance of actual talent. So I want put that person to be skilled in, in their, their, their sector. Uh, secondly, I'm looking for a work ethic because you need both. You need that application, that ability to put the hours in and, and push things forward as well as the, the talent. Um, and I'm looking for momentum, really. So I'm, I'm looking for people who are making stuff happen. So if I, if I were to give just one piece of advice to an emerging artist, it's create your own momentum. Get some momentum going. Don't just be there thinking, hey, once I've got a manager, it will be fine. Or once I've signed to a label, it will be fine. No, it won't. You've got to create momentum now. And when you sign to a record label or a manager, you need to keep creating momentum then. So, so it's a combination of these things. The ideal artist for me to work with is one who I feel is going to be really successful, whether or not I'm involved. So I want to work with people who think, I think, wow, that person's really going places, it, whether I'm involved or not. So basically you were more like a guide. More like you're managing to keep them in the right lanes, but they have to have the pieces right, the talent, 
the social media. They got to be go-getters, pushing hard to, to be in that, you know, to strive to be the best at what they can be, correct? Correct, generally. I mean, it would be a sad world if I said I'm not going to sign you because your socials aren't good enough. I mean, if, if somebody's got blazing talent, blistering ambition, and they have created momentum in some way, then I'm interested. So they might not have the socials firing, but they might say, hey, so I had these ideas, so I got this string quartet from university to play it all, and then I found this dude from South Africa, and he did this to it, and then I called up Diplo, and Diplo did such and such. Now, that's fine. You, even if you've got no socials, if I'm hearing that, I'm thinking, you oh. create, you're creating momentum. You're making shit happen. But, but obviously, socials is one way that it tends to show itself these days. But, yes, I'm looking for those, those things, talent, work rate, momentum. And I, I want to like the person as well. I don't want to deal with arseholes. I don't want to deal with people who make me feel reluctant to have a conversation with them. I want, I want to deal with people who, who I've had a conversation with, and I think, yeah, it was an enjoyable conversation. That was good. Because life's a bit life's a bit short to be surrounded by people that are not good people. You well, want to be you, you want to be surrounded with people that are that that you know that, that you can learn from. You try to Nick, and, and I know this happened to you. At first, everyone plays nice in the sandbox, but like anything in life, you date or you work with someone in a business. It takes time to get to know these people. It's hard yeah. to make that decision day one. You see them as a great, you know, artist or whatever, but until you're with them for a while, you sometimes don't see the true colors. You know? Oh, that's absolutely. You can't know. So, so sometimes you just roll the dice. You go, I hope this is a cool person, um, and uh, and then you see, you find out three months, six months, nine months, twelve months, four years later. You know, you you just see, and people can change and all the rest of it, but. But, yeah, I want to be enthused. And, you know, people need an, an enthusiastic team. They need their agent and their label and their publisher to be enthused about them and, and able to add value and go, hey, this is good stuff, you know, and that hopes, you know, and that, that moves things forward. Um, so I'm looking to be excited in music. And one of the reasons that I would, a conversa conversation like this is good is because just maybe there might be somebody watching this who goes, Okay, I'll send Nick some stuff. Maybe there's something interesting there, and maybe that could be a, a could be a whole change of path. And I'd suddenly it's like, whoa, okay, this is amazing. And that's happened to all of us. News. Boom! It's like, whoa, where did this come from? And then absolutely, we have to investigate. Absolutely. So there you go, bro. That's that's the overview. That's made you the detective you are, because A and Ring management. Publishing, DJing is the same job. You play this detective. You're always searching for that next big thing or that next yeah. music or the next big gig or the next whatever. But you're always yeah. on the hunt. hunt well, well, like yourself, you, you, you're, you're one of these people too. Like we've realized uh, as the years have gone by that, that it's not just about like, one big power move and then let's just chill for six months and then maybe we can execute another power move six months later. It's more about every day, nudge, tap, 
side hustle. I wonder if you might be. Have you thought about this? Hey, just touching base. You know, maybe you might be interested in, oh, can you check this out? All of this little stuff, little seeds, bam, 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 bam. And then some of them can turn into something big and some of them won't. Um, but you, you do need to be endlessly, endlessly pushing pushing forward, really. That's about the size of it. Correct. And you just actually mentioned the generation of today because of the Internet and the things flashing, constantly changing has made us all had to adapt to quick. I mean, within a second, make changes, adjust ourselves. It's it's not it's a different world we live in now. The six months yeah. and sitting back, that's the old school way. You know, you do some deals. Everything is nice. You have some dinners. You relax. You got yourself locked in your position. You're comfortable. It's not the same. It's not nah. So, so, you know, it is about keeping, keeping it moving forwards. And you never know where these uh, incredible opportunities might lie. They might be one right here now in this environment that we've got going on. Um or they may not, or it might be tomorrow, or it might be in six months' time, or and that's just the nature of it. So, hence, like I said, that's that the plan is keep doing my thing, keep engaging, keep discussing, keep learning, and then hopefully, um, it, you know, interesting things will will continue to happen, Lenny. But we need you to still be there because you are an OG. <laughs> Well, I hope I'm still going to be here for a while. Yeah, no, that's okay. You're not going nowhere, bro. You're going to be right there <laughs> doing, doing what you do, making the right records, signing the right records, getting the right people in the right rooms to write together. This is your forte. Yeah. Well, I love it still. I love it, man. No, it's been, you, it's, yeah. yeah. Cool. I do. I do love it. And it's been a, it's been a lovely journey. And, and I've got to thank you for uh, allowing me to uh, share... Uh, share some some aspects of it today it's been a it's been an enjoyable conversation man we appreciate it because it's also insightful to what really what went on behind the scenes people have no idea they just dance to the records or they just play yeah. they don't really understand what the politics of there's, sure. there's plenty of stories behind the scenes it's and i enjoy watching your uh, show uh because of course i learn Equally, all of these crazy things of stuff that I never knew, still learning. We all about, Oh, you know, about about different people who did, the person who did that, and then that was supposed to be the record for so-and-so, but that person just didn't show up that day, and then it became the what? And then it was number one all over the world. Like, okay, you know, it's endless stories. So you keep, you keep documenting them. Um, uh, and, uh, you know, I'll, uh, <laughs> I'll keep learning and, uh, documenting them in my own way as well. Probably too, hopefully. Watch Nick with his DJ Nick's a bad mother. <laughs> All right. Well, table. Thank you, mate. We, we have fun. We, we, we said, always have fun. Nick said, bother him. Tap on his social media door, go tick, 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 tick. And say, <laughs> I said, but be nice to him when you send the music, send it be in nice a nice way. Right. And also, like Roger Sanchez said, don't forget, make sure on your MP3, you put your name on the record. That would be useful. There's so many hit records were thrown away because everybody knew who to contact. Isn't That's unbelievable. Hard. That's Isn't the hard. Yeah. Could you imagine they forget to write? Because we all do this. We download, we download, we download. We put them in a folder. Correct? And yeah. Then 
weeks later, we're just going through records or just catching up. And we're like, the name of the record, we have no idea where it came from. We have no idea who it is. And now it's like, well, who do we contact? I know. It's, and then it's like the biggest record that you're playing out in the clubs. And you're thinking, I wish I knew what the funk this was. But ah, that's, what, that's, that's, that's how it rolls. But don't forget, you're sending music to Nick or me. Put your yeah. name on the MP3. or the, That would the be, that'd be that'd very be helpful. All right. Thank you, Nick. Thank you. We're eternally grateful to you, bro. I, I'm going to announce this right now. Check this out. This man never does interviews, but look who we're pulling out for a special Sunday True House Stories. Danny Teneglia. Danny Teneglia is coming on True House Stories this Sunday, Woo. September 12th. Danny Teneglia will rock us. You know his story is huge, too. Danny's got oh, yeah. huge stories with with Twisted Records and, oh, Tribal America. God, I mean, you, Lord, remember, you remember Tribal America? Woo! Very well. Danny Tenegli and Junior Vasquez, the war between them, the sound. Music is the answer. All those great records. Danny will be his Sunday to say it all. He's going to give us the insight from disco to techno and beyond. Once again, thank you, all of you, for tuning in to True House Stories. Thank you, Nick Hawks, for being you and doing what you do. We Thank must, you, Lenny, man. Thank you. We'll be tapping at your door all the time. All and right. Well, I, look forward, Go ahead, I look forward to speaking to you again soon, bro. And, and thanks to everybody who's uh, uh, been kind enough to, uh, to check this out for uh, the, the last 90 minutes or so. <laughs>